Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. And what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 112th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I'm Brian Emhauser, at Hawk Blogger on Twitter, and man, do we have an awesome, awesome show tonight. Not only, not only do we have an undefeated 5-0 Seahawks team coming off a of bye week, starting their division play, not only do we have rumors of Antonio Brown potentially signing, and players coming off injuries, and, uh, uh, you know, Damon Snacks Harrison getting weird numbers. We got all sorts of stuff to talk about. But we also have a very special guest today, uh, AJ McCord. Welcome to the show, AJ. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we'll, we will get into um, uh, asking you a bunch of questions and introducing you to our, our crowd. Um, before we do, let me bring in the other fellas. Uh, Evan Hill at Evan and SEA on Twitter. Good to see you, dude. Did you miss me last week? Of course we did. You know, it's funny. You sure you missed me? Well, you know, you're asking about whether I missed you. I always miss you. But there was a very mixed bag in the comments. There's like people were like, oh, my God, where's Nathan? Where's Evan? And there are other people like, this is the best show ever. <laughs> so, you know, we kind of had a little bit of both. So I'm, I'm surprised it wasn't more like nathan and evan never should come back on the show i'm surprised <laughs> there wasn't like 90 percent that take no, no. i have fans somehow i don't i don't know how it, how it happened but <laughs> you do you absolutely do and uh that for folks that don't know uh nathan ernst at nathan e11 on twitter good to have you nathan hey hey i think we i think you and i only got into like one or two twitter fights this week i think that's an improvement over and i tried to bait you like four or five different times and got nothing so it's true i was going hard on the the adam slander today you weren't you weren't biting (laughs) uh at last but never least uh jeff simmons at real jeff simmons on twitter up in toronto and his new pad how's it going dude 
It's good. We had a different kind of show last week and it's good to have the original crew back. And I, I missed you guys last week. I'm not going to lie. It was too positive around here, but it was nice and fun. It was a nice change. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to have everyone tonight again. It was a very mature conversation. So um, uh, for folks that don't know, um, AJ McCord, it's at AJ underscore McCord, M-C-C-O-R-D on Twitter. Must follow. Um, and I have to admit something, AJ. I didn't know you covered the Seahawks until this week. Like it was like, I consider myself like I know everyone covering the team and I hear all the names going through the press conferences. And then I heard like someone ask a question about Snacks Harrison and Pete Carroll make some comment about him looking svelte. And, and it's like, who is this person? So uh, could you, would you mind uh, taking a few seconds, introducing yourself um, to folks that may not know you and uh, we'll start there. Yeah, so it's not abnormal that you maybe don't know that I cover the Seahawks. I actually don't live in Seattle. Um, I work for the CBS affiliate in Portland, which is Coin TV. So we come up for every Seahawks home game um, this season, and we did towards the end of last season as well, because half of our market is in Washington. So we got a lot of comments that people really wanted to see more NFL coverage. And so here we are. And I um, have covered the NFL for years, it's sort of where I started. And so it was really fun for me to get back in uh, on the Seahawks. But yes, I am on all those Zooms. And yes, I did have to look up what spelt means because I couldn't quite grasp how that was describing somebody like Damon Harrison. <laughs> yeah, so so um, uh, for folks that don't know, um, there are actually two people on this podcast that are of uh, members of the tribe, uh, Jews, uh, Jewish folks. So I heard svelte, I knew exactly what that meant. Um, it is, it's an old Yiddish term for, for someone who's very skinny. Um, and, uh, that is not what most people would describe Damon Harrison as, and it's not surprising in the Northwest that there weren't a lot of people familiar with Yiddish. I, I, I gotta say, I was not shocked that people did not know that, but, um, if, if I looked, uh, I, I tried to learn a little bit about you, um, knowing you're coming on the show. So you grew up in San Diego, it sounds like, and you were a Chargers fan. Is that true? Hard. Yes. I was a diehard Chargers fan. It's, uh, the team that I learned football from. So I'm like born to have my heart broken from a very young age uh, my mom and my grandma had season tickets for 30 plus years and so not only was it the charges that I learned about football but it was also from the women in my family that I learned about football and my grandmother loved that team she lived and breathed and died by what happened to the San Diego Chargers so she was it was always our constant joke that grandma was hiding in the closet because she couldn't stand to watch what the Chargers were going to do next. So that's where I uh, became sort of a football fan, but I'm also a very proud San Diego native. And so when they moved the team to LA, I became an NFL free agent. Well, um, I need to know how you feel about them moving to LA. Are, are, are you said a free agent? Are you, are, are you still a Chargers fan or? Nope. Wow. No. Wow. Tell us about that. Like how, how did that, like, that's a terrible experience. <laughs> well, it wasn't like they just left, right? Like this was a very bitter breakup. This was a decade long battle between the owner of the chargers and the city of San Diego. And then we're back and forth and things said by both sides really, and just never came to an agreement. And as somebody who had poured their heart and soul into this team, 
it was so personal that they decided that there wasn't enough money or there wasn't enough fans that they could keep the team in San Diego. And then you see what's happened to them in LA and they can't sell out a soccer stadium. And there's a part of me that's like, good, <laughs> you know, like come back to San Diego. You, I will welcome you with open arms. You know, but you can't go to our arch rival. <laughs> You have, you have officially found yourself a home on this podcast. There are many bitter oh. fans here. <laughs> oh, I was about to jump in and just say, I want you to know my childhood was also ruined when the Sonics left Seattle. And, yes. there's, and there's no way in hell, no way in hell, I would ever follow that team to that dusty ass town. I'm sorry, I, I, we're trying not to swear on this podcast anymore. That dusty town in Oklahoma City. <laughs> I completely empathize with you. I'm sorry your team was stolen from you. I get it. It's heartbreaking and it's evil. And it, so. it happened in childhood. I mean, it was traumatizing. I, I was really, I didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate bitter fandom. So <laughs> um, a couple more things before we actually get into talking about Seahawks. Um, so it, it seems like you you are a super athlete. You were a gymnast. You were You're into surfing, running, all this kind of stuff. And I actually posted a, a, a GIF I found of you did like, I don't even know what gymnastics move that was. I said it was a one-handed front spring. I really don't know. <laughs> but you did like your first pitch and you did some front flip basically to throw that ball. First of all, what is the correct term for what you did? A one-handed cartwheel. But front flip <laughs> is way cooler. Let's go with that. <laughs> it seemed more impressive the way I said it. But, but uh, you know, is that something you knew you were going to do? Like, like, how did that come about? No. So that was um, really funny. Last summer, the Hillsboro Hops, which is the minor league affiliate in town, they had a first pitch competition among a bunch of the media members. So they invited a bunch of us out to throw the first pitch. And whoever got, whoever won, you were judged based on accuracy, speed. I think your catcher was like deciding that one. And then the other half of your score came from retweets and comments on social media. And I was, I'm a washed up athlete at this point in my life, but I have been an athlete my whole life and my competitive nature has not gone anywhere. It's probably only intensified as I've gotten older. And so of course I immediately start thinking, okay, what can I do to like set myself apart? I'm the only woman in this competition. I need to represent, you know, women. I need to represent all these things. And so, um, I practiced and I gotta be honest, it never went that well in practice, but I figured even if it was embarrassing, that was also going to do well on social media. So it was, I played my odds there. Well, that was, uh, I was pretty impressed. I've never seen that. I've seen a ton of first pitches. Not only did you pull off the move, but your, your pitch was pretty solid. So, um, props to that. The last thing I was gonna ask before we get into Seahawks stuff is I also noticed that you, um, were involved in Paralympics and I was wondering if mm -hmm. there was any story behind that. Yeah, so my first um, sort of real job out of college, I guess, was I worked for the Olympic Channel. And obviously, as a gymnast, I, that was what my, my main sport growing up. So I've always been really, really um, committed and dedicated to covering Olympic and endurance and outdoor sports. So when I was working for Universal Sports, I was in charge of a lot of the qualifying events before Sochi. So I was doing writing, researching, reporting, producing, all the behind-the-scenes stuff. And I sort of got thrown into the Paralympic world. And for me, sports is so much about 
what we have in common versus what we have that is different. And I think that the Paralympic world is something that embodies that so incredibly well. And I'm just constantly in awe of any athlete who makes it to an elite level. But you think about not just any sort of physical challenges that Paralympians have to overcome, but any emotional or mental trauma that comes with whatever happened that put them into the Paralympic category. And I just think that those athletes deserve all of the recognition in the entire world and that there are so many, I mean, you look at what Shaquem Griffin did when he came to Seattle, you look at what he did when he played at UCF, like this is a, this is people who deserve to be spotlighted and any chance that I get to do that, because I think it just embraces more people and more people believe that they can do something they never thought they could do before because they see someone doing it in the Paralympics. Awesome. Well, thanks for all that. Thanks for putting up with my 20 questions. I think it's, <laughs> of course. it's, it's, uh, I think it's super important to, you know, we got a lot of actually really cool people that not only play for the Hawks, um, coach the Hawks, uh, but also cover the Hawks and, and, uh, you got a pretty interesting background. So, uh, so we had a press conference today. I, I can assume that you were there. Um, what did you take away as the big, the big news? Cause there was a lot that came out in that press conference. There was a lot. And I think it's just so entertaining. And I saw so many 12s on Twitter call it before Pete Carroll even stepped to the mic. But, you know, that Antonio Brown rumor came out about half hour before the press conference. And sure enough, someone was spot on with what Pete Carroll was going to say. And it was basically along the lines of, well, you know, we're always involved in everything and we're always trying to make our team as good as it can be. And so, of course, we're we're looking into that, which is like the best non-answer and like the most traditional Pete Carroll not answer that you're ever going to get. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of that. There was news of Sullivan moving and adding defensive end, I believe, to the end of his name. We sort of got injury updates, but not really. No one really knows when Snacks is going to show up. So it was like a lot of updates without actually getting any concrete information, which Pete Carroll's very good at doing. AJ, can I, can I jump in here real quick and ask you, what was your take on the whole – Jamal Adams feedback we we got today there was like some early speculation by reporters that potentially he suffered a setback but I, either you or somebody else asked if he had a setback and he or I think Pete Carroll said no but what's your whole reaction to that injury news I think a lot of fans were expecting Jamal to um, you know play against the Cardinals coming coming off of bye week yeah, and I think they haven't exactly like ruled out that possibility, but it does feel like it gets slimmer and slimmer every single day. But then again, I just don't know how much of that is gamesmanship by Pete Carroll because he has an opportunity here to sort of play this injury into what it is, you know, what it, how bad it could be, I suppose you could say. Um, but I do know from having covered Jamal even just in these first six months and having a few mutual friends that he he is somebody who wants to be on that football field. So if there is a chance for him to play without further injuring himself, he will be on that football field on Sunday, regardless of what Pete Carroll and the training staff maybe want to do with him. Yeah. I think one of the things there, AJ, that's interesting is uh, Kyler Murray is as uh, mobile of a QB as there is in the league right now. Uh, for anyone that watched the play of Dallas, I mean, the guy, the guy is fast. And so you have to wonder if that's playing any role in the team, maybe saying, well, you know, Ryan Neal, uh, you know, 
know, Demarius Randall, we can get by with you for another week and maybe not have the chance that Jamal Adams is going to pull his groin further trying to chase down Kyler Murray. Totally. They're playing the long game. I mean, this is what the first, the first division game, right? And so I think this, this coaching staff, this Seahawks team has their eyes set on playing well into January and hopefully February. And so I think you think about like, of course you want to beat the Cardinals this week, but if you don't, you more don't want Jamal Adams to do something worse to injure that groin. And so if there's any question of whether he's healthy, then sure. I mean, this is an offense or this is a defense, excuse me, that gives up an average of 471 yards a game. This is a Cardinals offense that averages 400 yards a game. Seahawks are still five and zero. So even if the Cardinals have an average game, Seahawks have figured out how to do it with allowing their opponent to get as many yards as they have. So there's certainly a lot of things for the coaching staff to weigh in before Sunday. Um, AJ, circling back to, uh, you briefly mentioned Antonio Brown and 12's having opinion. So given where this team is as a passing team and given his history towards women, like where are you at on that? Like how comfortable would you be on the team signing someone who has such a checkered past and, Where's your head at on that? Yeah, I I think um, Bobby Wagner probably said it best. I mean, it's not really in my wheelhouse to have an opinion on like who they sign or who they don't. But I will say that, you know, Bobby Wagner said, I can't judge anybody that I haven't met yet. And so also, so being in Portland, the trailblazers have been sort of my bread and butter for much of my time here in, in Portland And you think of a guy like Carmelo Anthony, you think of a guy like Yusuf Nurkic, and those are two players that came to Portland with a lot of negative noise surrounding them. And then you look at who they became or who they sort of showed themselves to be in Portland. And so for me, that experience shows me that maybe it's as much who this, who they're, the player is surrounded by as it is what they have been, you know? So to that extent, I think, you have Russell Wilson, you have Tyler Lockett, you have Bobby Wagner, you have KJ Wright. So could this be the place that Antonio Brown finally finds himself or some footing or some, some sort of, um, you know, like not revelation, but a little bit of of restoration of his, of his um, reputation, maybe. But when I look at the Seahawks, I don't necessarily also think, Oh, I know what, will really make it click is another wide receiver. So from that perspective, it's like, well, I think the Seahawks have bigger needs for sure than on in the wide receiver group. So it's kind of a mixed bag and it will be interesting because Antonio Brown is going to be somebody who, regardless of whether you sign him or don't, people will have opinions on either option. <laughs> uh, so looking at this matchup, AJ, um, what are you thinking about uh, from a Seahawks angle as being keys to beating the Cardinals? Like what are the things that, that are top of mind for you? You have to remind Kylo Murray that he is still young in this league. You have to not let him get his confidence like he clearly did against the Cowboys. Kyler Murray is an electric player. I think he's going to be in this league for years and years to come. But I also think that he's still young. And while he does have the, like way more weapons than he did last year, I think if you maybe spy Bobby Wagner on Kyler and just remind him that he is constantly going to be at the forefront of the Seahawks defensive attention, then you can do a lot to shake him up and make those weapons that he has in the wide receiver group 
a little less threatening because you do not want to see DeAndre Hopkins going off for a fantasy dream day against the Seahawks because again that's a shootout between these two I think is bound to happen but someone has to balk first and you have to make sure it's Kyler Murray you know AJ this is going really well and then you started talking positively about Kyler Murray and and (laughs) And I'm going to have to hear about it from Evan for the rest of the night. <laughs> so, you know. He's a it's... good quarterback. I mean, <laughs> Thank you, have to you stop AJ. Him. Thank like, you, I'm AJ. I'm very sorry, but, like, you're not going to win the game if you don't stop Kyle Personally, Murray. I'm very excited to watch the MVP and Russell Wilson play on Sunday. Oh, I think the it's, MVP I think... with uh, oh. nine completed passes against the worst <laughs> secondary in the league. Brutal. Oh, I did not. I did not go that far. <laughs> I just said this was going to be a shootout. <laughs> I am not putting Kyler Murray in the MVP conversation yet. Russell Wilson has broken a record literally every week of this season, except for the bye. And so I just don't know that I don't know that Kyler's on that same proven level. And that's what I mean. You have to remind him that he is young and he's had some success, but he is not Russell Wilson yet because Russell Wilson's best characteristic is that he's done this for nine seasons so I I think Kyler Murray is a great quarterback I think it's gonna be such a fun game to watch I'm not quite willing to put Kyler Murray and the and not willing to do that just to be clear just to be clear I don't believe that either I just like (laughs) trolling Brian I'm just really happy AJ that in these last few minutes we have you we were able to steer you away from an affiliation um uh, with Evan it is like that is the kiss of death uh so so like congratulations you. you're back on the bright side uh you're in, you're in good shape didn't even know that was a pothole to avoid thanks oh for it, that. It, it most definitely <laughs> you <is>. asshole <laughs> <laughs> uh say so uh only other thing i'd ask aj is is where can folks um find you where should they find more coverage from you um if they want to learn more Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, AJ underscore McCord. And I do a lot of really fun stuff with coin here in Portland. So I, if you go to coin.com and just search AJ, then a lot of my stories come up, which I know a lot of our listener viewers and listeners are in the Northwest, I would assume. And so one of the series that I do, if you like things outside of football as well, um, is I have an outdoor series that coin and I do every single summer where we go adventure. So like I went whitewater rafting, snowboarding, e-biking, wind sailing, just a lot of really fun stuff. So you can find me on coin.com, but then you can also find me on social media, AJ underscore McCord. How do you get that job? How, how do you get paid to travel and like do fun stuff? You have to actually be an lucky. athlete, Evan. <laughs> no, you don't. It's as funny when you fall on TV as it is when you succeed. In fact, my snowboarding video, I was up at Mount Hood because Mount Hood's one of the only places in the uh, Northern hemisphere that you can ski and snowboard year round. And so I was up there when Team USA was training and I was Nick Gepper, who's a freestyle Olympian. He was trying to teach me how to go off of a jump in my snowboard and it did not end well. Like it was an epic, epic crash. So turns out that's just as entertaining though. So I'm happy to make a fool of myself on television, which that's really what that job is. Love it. Love it. I think I saw somewhere that one of your favorite places in Oregon is Sisters. So I, I knew, Sisters. I knew right then uh, as a fan of Black Butte and Sisters, uh, I was going to be an AJ McCord fan. So, Hey, AJ, thank you so much for coming on. We hope we can have you back. Um, and if you haven't already folks follow her at AJ underscore McCord, that's two C's on Twitter. And uh, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me anytime. All right. Have a great rest of your night. Thanks. You too. All right, fellas. 
Uh, always good to meet a new member of, of Seahawks Media. And um, you can never get too many perspectives on, on the team we all love. So uh, good on AJ for having her here. She is not going to be the only uh, cool guest we have. Evan, do you want to talk about who's coming on our post-game show on Sunday? Yeah. Stacy. How do you pronounce her last name? Lost? Oh no, Evan. No, don't help him. Don't help him. Make him make him do it. Make him do it. <laughs> I don't know if it's roast or rost. Stacy Joe roast? Rost? One of the three. 710 ESPN. We're gonna have all three Stacys on the show after <laughs> on the postgame show. Oh, oh Chris, we just Not lost again. her, actually. She's, so she just got Jermaine I fatty. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> man. Uh she's coming on the postgame show. I'm super excited about it. I somehow conned her into doing it. I have no idea how I got her to do it. Um, she, I, she would be my first choice as who to replace, uh, you know, Dory Monson on the Seahawks post game show. Like, I think she's, she's fantastic. She's smart. She's funny. She knows the Hawks. Well, she asked the right questions. She has the right points of view. So like um, super stoked to have her on what is probably the most inappropriate post-game show. Um, hopefully she can recover from this in her career, but I, for the meantime, I'm very selfishly excited about it. Yeah, the only thing she told me is she can't swear. So, <laughs> you know, we're trying not to swear either, but uh, I'm sure it'll be an emotional and fun time for sure. It will, it will. Hey guys, so where do we want to start tonight? I mean, I feel like everybody wants to know a little bit about Antonio Brown. I mean, I kind of feel like we got to start there and I got to say, I think I know, I think I'm pretty sure all four of us are have a similar perspective here. So it may not be much of a debate, but I'll just start by saying like, I'm seeing a lot of folks on Twitter. Like when we compare AB to Josh Gordon, they're like, well, Josh Gordon's had multiple offenses and, you know, you know, give AB a chance to, to come back. And I'm like, Josh Gordon, as far as I know, I, I'm not like the expert in all these guys, but Josh Gordon's offenses have been addictive, addiction related. They've been, you know, and, and so he's hurting himself and, and you could argue he's hurting his team by not being available. But the things that Antonio Brown has done, whether they've been complaining about his helmet, which is like, you know, whatever to get like literally knocked off a team because he wouldn't wear the right helmet. Um, all the way through off-field things that transgressions that that are alleged, but they are pretty damning. And and there's other things he's done that have been affecting other people. Like he's he's not been of right mind. And I just I don't see the comparison between those two players at all. And I don't understand why the NFL would reinstate one before the other, um, or you know, AB before Josh Gordon. And I don't understand why the Seahawks would consider adding someone like that. But Guys, Russell Wilson was very positive about it today. He's been positive about it all along. Pete Carroll did not, you know, deny the rumors. So, Jeff, I mean, what's your perspective on the the AB story? What do you what do you think's going on? I just think it's illogical. Um, I get Russell's just one of these people that sees the best in everyone, sees the best in everything. So I kind of get. Russell's always trying to make the team look better and I get maybe why he wants them. But to me, it made sense when you weren't sure, like it made sense back in July when you weren't sure if they had a third receiver and Josh Gordon wasn't signed yet. And you didn't think, you didn't know if David Moore would hold up 
and we didn't know anything about Freddie Swain. To bring in a headache who's going to be like your third receiver and get what, like three targets a game? To me, that's just a completely illogical decision. I don't see any purpose of doing that. And the risk of him does not come close to matching the reward. I, I don't see why the Seahawks would take that chance. And if you're going to add and you're going to take on a high risk, maybe do it on defense. I, I don't see the point of doing that with Antonio Brown. And I'm just surprised that this story popped up today. To me, it just doesn't fit where they are. It doesn't fit how they want to play. And it's such an unneeded risk from my, from my perspective. Nathan, where are you at on this? Yeah, uh, I I don't want to sign him. I mean, to me, the the stuff about, well, you know, they're already really good at passing the ball. They already have these receivers. Um, that's not I, – I don't care about that. I think adding more weapons is probably good. Protecting against injury is good. So that's really not where I'm coming from on it. Um, I mean, he's been credibly accused of sexual assault uh and and he's going through a lawsuit for that right now um and i don't want to root for somebody like that and that's really it all it's 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 pretty much that simple for me so that's kind of where it starts and stops for me we had uh talked in the chat too about um david irving who has had a lot of uh kind of similar stuff in his past and and my take on him was the same you know these just aren't guys that i want on my favorite football team and so I really hope they don't sign him. Evan. Yeah, Evan. I, I, I guess the question I have is like adding an Antonio Brown purely from a football perspective obviously makes the team better. I don't think anybody's disputing that. But how much better, like, like as Jeff said, he's such a high character risk, like multiple rape allegations, endangerment of a two-year-old. He threw furniture off a balcony and it either hit or almost hit his two-year-old uh, son. So this is the type of person we're talking about. Um, he's just a nut job. And I, I'm just not convinced. I'm not convinced that the potential payoff of, you know, maybe improving the offense by a little bit, like how much better can it really get? I, I think Brian, you said they're the number one scoring offense in the NFL. Yeah. I'm not sure like that risk is worth that reward. I, I'm really not convinced it is. Um, another thing we talk about is like, I don't want, if they signed Antonio Brown, I don't want him stealing targets from DK Metcalf or, or, or Tyler Lockett right now. Um, Antonio Brown is 32 years old and early to mid thirties is when for most receivers, you know, they're on the tail end of their careers, except for the obviously very elite, which many would consider Antonio Brown to be. But I, I, I think just to summarize, I, I don't think the super high character risk is, is worth the potential reward here. Like this team is five and oh, Josh Gordon is, is facing reinstatement, hopefully to be reinstated soon. Um, the focus should not be on Antonio Brown. The focus should be on what the hell is the NFL doing with Josh Gordon? So, well, and the last thing I think we'll say, I'll say on this and then we can move on to other topics. But um, one of the, the rejoinders I keep hearing is, well, well, there's no risk. Like sign him. If he like, you know, mouths off or he's a bad in locker room, cut him. That's not the worst case scenario, guys. The worst case scenario is you sign him He's on his best behavior. He becomes an integral part of the offense. He's really good. And then he gets comfortable and then he screws up or he 
causes a problem in the locker room or he quits on the team or they're not, he's not there when they need him. That's the worst case scenario. And you basically have the potential to really mess up what I think is a Super Bowl team. So I just, I don't see, I, I don't see a nearly enough upside and I don't see that this is a, and to the, to the point, like I agree with Nathan, this is not necessarily an area of need. If you can add more value there, great, but it would only be potentially interesting if this was like, you know, you were without your top few receivers and you're trying to find something to be, keep the team competitive and they're just not in that situation. So uh, not surprising because I know what the four of us have talked about it. I know that there are, are some pretty vocal um, folks on the other side of this conversation. It, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, let's let's do a couple of quick hits on um, other folks. So so Damon Harrison, Miami. Uh, we already know Tampa Bay attempted to sign him off the practice squad. We now know Miami tried to sign him off the practice squad. He's wearing number 59, which is like a linebacker number. I don't know why the biggest guy on the field is wearing 59, but okay. Uh, can the Seahawks afford, forget whether he's ready. Can the Seahawks afford to not have him active this week and getting a, an active game check as opposed to a practice squad game check? What are you guys thinking is going to happen there? Nathan? I got to admit, I, I missed the question. Might <laughs> <laughs> oh, have got distracted by Twitter. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is fascinating. What did you find on Twitter? Anything we should know? Uh, well, it was a video that I needed sound for, but it was of Russ. So, you know, it was Seahawk related. Um, <laughs> it's good. Was it the Dwayne Brown video? Yeah. I, yeah. What, what actually happened? Does he really sound really sad about it? No, Dwayne really was just like constantly consoling him like a father is what on the bench oh. it was nothing particularly interesting hmm. yeah it's it's definitely not super interesting with that sound anyway sorry damon uh harrison <laughs> you expect uh, him to be active this week and, yeah. and you think the seahawks can afford to not have him be active knowing that there's other teams trying to sign him uh yeah i mean it seems like you have to put him on the roster at this point and like i don't know i mean why not like what is it's not like this is some like completely like loaded defensive line like it doesn't seem like there's any real harm in having him activated even if maybe he's not ready for you know a week or even two like bring him up keep him safe on the on the the roster don't don't risk him I mean he we talked about this right he might end up being their best defensive lineman by by the time the year's over so yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense to do whatever you need to protect him. I, but I don't understand all the protection rules now either. So I don't know how that necessarily works. If they could just keep him there and protect him every week or what? They could, but man, that seems like a crap way to treat. Yeah. That you yeah. I mean, do you guys do you guys know where the Arizona Cardinals run game ranks in DVOA? Yeah. Uh, on offense or defense? No, offense. No. Top five. It's, I think it's probably top five because of Kyler. They're second in the NFL. Yeah, that, that was going to be my out. point. Uh, we talked about this stretch of games coming up. It's Arizona. It's the Niners, the Bills, the Rams. They all love to run the football. And we all talk about the offensive coaches in the division, but all three of those teams are heavy run teams. So if you needed Snaps Harrison, whose primary skill is stopping the run, 
you got to have him in now because if not, you're playing with fire. And a team like Tampa tried to sign him, which two weeks ago might have looked iffy. But if you watch Tampa play Green Bay and just dominate, he might be wondering, like, hmm, maybe I should have went to the best defense in the NFL. So I think you got to get him going now. He's shown tremendous loyalty to the Seahawks so far. So I think that should be rewarded. Were there any details on what his contract was? I assume it was just veteran minimum. Not that I've seen. No, nothing out yet. Okay. Quick note on that, though. Football Outsiders filters out quarterback runs now as uh, as part of the passing offense. So, oh, interesting. Rank- you mean as part of the rushing offense? Yeah. It, it no, like, so if a quarterback scrambles, it does not count as, towards their rushing defense. That is interesting. A lot of Kyler's runs are by design. So then those do count. So, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think, I don't know, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. I, I think from what I've seen of Arizona games, he's, he's their most dangerous weapon and, and not, not his passing, <laughs> not his passing. Uh, his legs are, you know, he's, in, he, to me, he is, he is not quite Lamar Jackson from um, an agility perspective and he's not going to make people miss like that, but he is faster than probably any quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he is, he is lightning fast. So I don't know that Damon Harrison's going to have much to do with that, but he certainly would help with Kenyon Drake, um, you know, running up the middle, you'd hope. Um, I'm going to talk about a couple other things, but let's switch gears guys. I, I sense that this is, this is a weird thing. I think it was um, Evan, you brought it up. You asked, what would success be over the next five games? I want to talk about that a little bit because I sense Seahawks fans in general. I saw a lot of the responses to your question on on Twitter. And a lot of folks are talking about like, well, if they go three and two, then that can get them to 12 wins or, you know, four and one would be good. But like, there's a lot of folks that are just talking about getting to 12 wins and, and getting into the playoffs. And I got to be honest, guys, I think this is the best team in the NFL. I think they're, they should win the Super Bowl. I absolutely believe that. And, and I don't know why I'm so maybe off on a different perspective on this than other folks. But if you really want to win the Super Bowl, I don't think going less than four and one over the next five games sets you up for your best chance to win the Super Bowl. So that's success minimum to me is, is four wins. And I, I'm kind of curious, like, where are you guys at on that question? Before we even start this conversation, let's read out the next five games that uh, is this stretch. So obviously this Sunday at Arizona in Glendale, next Sunday, November 1st, uh, Niners travel to Seattle. The following week at Buffalo, uh, the following week after that uh, at Rams, so two straight away games. And then Thursday, November 19th, Thursday night football, uh, Arizona visits Seattle. So what is, I guess the question I posed earlier, I think it started in our, in our group chat was, I want to be careful about how I phrase this. It's not, it's not what you think will happen. It's not what should happen. It's what defines success over these next five weeks for this football team. And I have my own answer and I've come to terms with it, but Nathan and Jeff, I'm curious to hear your takes. Yeah, I'll come in. I, I kind of went to the opposite end of the scales, Brian, and I'm looking at it as what puts them in best position down the road. And I did say I thought three and two was successful. 
And that says more about our division than it does about the Seahawks. I think our division is by far the best in the league. I think all four teams are good. And I know you mentioned 12 wins, but if you go three and two in this stretch, that means you're starting eight and two. And that means your eight and two will be with that NFC East Jets four pack coming up. So that gets you to 12 wins right there with two games left. So I think that gets you to 13 or 14. And I think that three and two in this stretch where you got to play top 10 teams back to back to back, I think is very good. And I think that sets up the rest of their season. Well, I get what you guys are saying with number one seed. I get maybe I should be striving higher, but I think that puts them pretty much on path with where I think they're going to go this year. So let me drill down one level further. Let's, let's strip away the Buffalo Bills game. They have four NFC West games. Yeah, Cardinals twice, Rams, and Niners. What does success look like for those divisional opponents? What does that record look like? Is it 3-1, 2-2, 4-0? I'll say 3-1. Interesting. Well, and I want to I want to hear Nathan's answer. I also just want to jump in. Like, <clears throat> I do think we overweight our division a little bit, to be honest. Like, I don't think the Rams, 49ers, or Cardinals acquitted themselves well over the past few weeks of being like a team teams to really fear. The Rams are ninth in DVOA. The Cardinals are tenth. The Cardinals are essentially equivalent to the Dolphins, who we beat in Miami pretty soundly like the dolphins are 11th in DVOA. So um, San Francisco's 13th um, Buffalo's 19th. So I don't know, like if, if you stripped away the names and the division games and you said, we're going to, you know, play teams that are ranked basically 10th or worst over the next five weeks and you're five and zero, and have the best offense in the NFL and the best player in the NFL we really think three and two is like success. Yeah, because it's not about what the team is in general. It's how they match up against you. And we've seen what Sean McVay has done to this team over the years. And what's the biggest weakness of this team? All three of those teams are kind of uniquely built to give them trouble. So that's where my perspective comes from. If you're just looking what team is better, I, I would take Seattle every time. But it's not that simple because we've seen simply what McVay does to our scheme on defense and what Shannon can do and what Arizona did last year in a must win game. So that's kind of my opinion. I don't know if you guys see it. I assume Evan sees it differently. I let, Nathan, what about you? Yeah, I think three and two is like, <clears throat> that's the, 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 the minimum criteria, right? They go three and two fine. Totally understandable. Right. I mean, We'll see how it shakes out, but I think if you look at it, you know, you figure maybe they lose one to either the Bills or the Niners, and then they probably lose to the Rams because for whatever reason, the Rams are giving them a ton of trouble with McVay. So, you know, if you get out of that with three and two playing, you know, yeah, not any top 10 teams, but teams that are right there at 10 and 11 and, you know, right near there, that's, I think that's fine. I think, you know, what you really want to see, though, is is four and one, you know, that is uh, going to be much more that, that's going to be encouraging, right? Three and two, you probably don't feel much different about this team. Four and one, you probably really feeling like this is building, right? You're nine and one at that point. You've beaten some good teams, which is a little you kind of it's not really clear how good the teams Seattle's played so far have been. So I think this is definitely the toughest stretch that they've they've played. So um that that's what I'll be hoping for. And I think it's pretty reasonable to hope for four and one um, because like, uh, you know, 
how many times do you think like what is Seattle on DVOA like third or something like that overall? I think so. They're okay, so like they're fifth. Okay, so like if you take the fifth best team in the NFL and the tenth best team in the NFL, how often does the fifth best team win? There's some matchup stuff in there that can get weird, but like I'd probably say what sixty percent of the time maybe the fifth ranked team wins, right? And so you're talking about you know uh, a five game stretch where you know you're going to be dealing with a lot of like sixty forty games, and so three and two is is not unreasonable at all. Brian, do you have anything? Well, the last thing I'll say on, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Evan, is like, it's not just that I think the Seahawks are the best team in the league, which I actually do believe that to be true. From everything I've watched of the NFL this year, I think the Seahawks are the the best team in the NFL. Yes, that includes the Chiefs. Yes, that includes the Ravens. I would take the Seahawks in those games. Um, But, man, Super Bowl seasons are not just about being the best. It's about a lot of luck and a lot of things breaking your way. The Seahawks have the easiest schedule like for the rest of the way like these are the toughest games and they're not that tough these are not this is not a murderer's row (laughs) this is not that tough and and so i just feel like man you if you're the seahawks that you want home field advantage i think the the you want to guarantee home field advantage which is only the number one seed this year it's not the number one and the number two seed that's i think 14 wins is how you guarantee it 13, you're probably going to have some tiebreakers potentially that you have to have in order to do that. And this is where you win home field advantage over the next five games. If you go four and one, you're in great shape. If you go five and oh, I mean, you have a, you have a great chance there. And I honestly don't think that that's completely unrealistic for them to go five and oh. So I don't think it's the most likely, but I don't think it's unrealistic. If they go five and oh, they like we're talking about an undefeated season at that point hell yeah we are yeah that's <laughs> that's a little uh, crazy to even think about <laughs> yeah and i mean we're i think five and oh, we're not five and oh is is obviously a big stretch but like that's really where that's like this is the 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 mountain stage of the tour de france i'm totally talking at my ass right now right but this is, this is the hard part things are uphill and difficult right long time biker yeah oh yeah love love to bike uh pedal pedal um <laughs> yes but i mean if they get through that and they're five and oh and then it really is just downhill from there uh so that would be truly insane all right evan wrap us on this uh, on this particular topic I, and then we'll take some patron questions I, I just think what you said about the playoff changes is is needs to be noted heavier like there is there's only one team with home field advantage and that's changed that's new this year seattle has to get the number one seed and i think you're 100 percent correct 14 wins gets them the number one seed <sighs> but i mean uh jeff you were down on the packers in our group chat but like there's going to be some competition in the nfc i'm not i'm not even willing to count out the rams yet uh, I know, I know, I think we have a 1.5 game lead on them, but what was that? They have two losses already, the Rams, so. They do, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I the, the, what's funny about the question is it's, it's specifically subjective because it's relative to what your expectations and hopes are for the team. Um, I'm in Brian's camp. Uh, I'm really optimistic about this team, like we're talking Super Bowl with the start they've had. Super Bowl. Like real words, real meaning, 
it's a real possibility. Like not saying it's going to happen, but with their start, they're trending that way. And this next five game stretch is, is a doozy. And I think it's going to reveal a lot about this football team. So let's, let's take some patron questions. Um, (laughs) I'm probably going to start a separate tangent with this, but I have to get it out there. There's this narrative that Sean McVay's got Pete Carroll's number, right? That the, the Rams are four and two against uh, the Seahawks under McVay. What was Jeff Fisher's record with the Rams in his last two years against this against uh, against Pete Carroll and the Seahawks? Anybody? Three and one, probably. That's right. Yeah. They were three and one, dude, and that was with like. That was with pretty crappy. Like that was also with Jared Goff one of those years. Um, so like they had Nick Foles and Case Keenum. Like I I agree that that Sean McVay's offense has destroyed Pete Carroll's defense in most matchups. But I don't know. Jeff Fisher's was no genius and and he managed to beat them too so i I don't know if that narrative is going to hold over time i'm kind of curious okay who do you think think between shanahan and mcveigh who do you think will have a better record against the seahawks over the next five years Hmm. i mean shanahan's got better a better roster um and all, all they're, factors they're gonna be they're gonna be adding Dak next year too so it's gonna get oh, a little dangerous please yeah. stop that would suck <laughs> it's gonna uh, happen though they can clear 24 million dollars in cap cutting jimmy g next year oh my gosh they gotta do that yep so patreon questions <laughs> uh <clears throat> all right uh from stensig from what we've seen so far, who are the two teams you see playing in the NFC title uh, game? I think we all agree Seattle. So who do you think is the uh, – I, I think there's two questions there, actually, that, that uh, I want to add one on. One, who do you think they will play, assuming they, Seattle gets to the NFC championship game? Who would you want them to match up with of the, the top-tier NFC teams so far? Brian? Who would I want them to match up with? Who do you think it will be? And, and if, of, if you could choose from the top – Top tier NFC teams, who would you pick? Like this is an NFC championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Is it in uh, Seattle? Yeah. I think we all agree Seattle's there, right? We're all picking Seattle to get to the NFC championship. Well, I think That's I think fine. I've been saying are we assuming it's in Seattle? So I'm gonna I'm oh. gonna assume it's in Seattle. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, because that's that where they play would factor in. Obviously, I wouldn't want to play in Green Bay. Uh I think Green Bay is most likely. I, I think even what happened with Tampa Bay, I still think. I still think Green Bay is the the team to to beat outside of Seattle um, in the NFC. Um, Tampa's the the only other obvious choice from my perspective. Uh, team I'd want to play. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to get the Niners. Um, I'd love to get. Uh, I'd be fine beating the Packers again. Um, that would be fine with me. Um, or beating Tom Brady again. Um, like that all those things would be really nice. So uh, as long as it's in Seattle, I think bring pretty much any of them on. Uh, there's not one that I'm particularly can. I think the, the Packers are the most dangerous of those teams in my mind. 
Evan? I would love to play the Saints. I think we would match up very well with them. Um, I would also love to play an eight and eight team in the uh, NFC Championship. <laughs> I also like to play the you know, Washington football team. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. The Saints. I, I don't know. I, I I'm not counting the Saints out. Uh, I know who I wouldn't want to play, and I know you didn't ask that question. Zero percent chance I want to play the Bucks. I'm sorry. Okay, I was actually going to ask, like, how do people feel about that matchup with the the Bucks? Does does Brady scare you? It's not Brady. It's their defense. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're the most complete team. I think they're number one in DVOA. Their defense with Todd Bowles is really good. And I think uh, Brady's probably the least fearful part of that team, to be honest. Uh, Okay, next question. Uh, Do we want to take a stab at ranking the Seahawks rookie draft class through the first five games? I, I'm trying to think who are all the rookies that have played. Like uh, Daryl Taylor is a, a scratch. Brooks has gotten spot duty. Hey, but Taylor's running straight really fast. Yeah, that's exciting. And they signed um, Fingers, so that's uh, uh, it, it's it's like Damian Lewis and then Swain. Yeah, and a little uh, I guess a little bit of Alton Robinson. So honestly, though, through five games through five games in six weeks fans are not talking enough about how good damian lewis has been he, I agree. Yeah. he yeah. is like I, I know we on this podcast to be arrogant for a second like i think assumed he would be a fairly safe solid uh draft choice but he has outperformed even our expectations like he's he's playing like a top 10 guard in the nfl right now like he's a stud like like we, you know what we should be talking about Damian Lewis in the same way we were talking about DK Metcalf through, you know, the first half of the season or whatever in 2019. I truly believe that pass protection, run blocking, Damian Lewis is a solid interior piece at unlike anything they've ever had. And he's in his first year, immediate contributor. That's a huge deal. It's not a flashy position, but it's a huge deal. I agree with like 70% of what you said. Um, definitely a huge deal. I mean, He's not better than anything we've had. Steve Hutchinson, legit Hall of Famer. Uh, okay, but I'm talking in the Russell Wilson era. I know that's the only area that you care about. <laughs> okay, boob. I was like 10 years old during yeah. the Steve Hutchinson era. I know. I know. It's okay. We'll talk about Brian Millard another day. Um, yeah. Do you want to rapid fire through a few of these, uh, Nathan? Sure. With one person, get you know, name a person to answer it and ask a question. Sure, sure, sure. Um, um, we've already answered. Some of these are a little bit duplicates. Uh, <laughs> all right, Brian. Uh, from Corey Hickok, what would it take for the fan base to finally shed their inferiority complex? <laughs> <laughs> this is an awesome question. I, I don't know about the inferiority part, but I definitely get the sense I mean, the Seahawks fans are in the bunker mentality. Like we're like, okay, how do we like not have the worst possible thing happen? And how do we like protect ourselves from heartache? And I'm, I'm here to tell you, like, I've been down that path. In fact, that's one of the reasons I started blogging was I wanted to think of all the possible ways the team could lose so I can anticipate it and not have my heart get broken um, every Sunday. I'd, I kind of have some feeling that it was coming. But this isn't the team to do that with. I think you'll miss the year. You'll miss the season. You won't appreciate it if you approach it that way. This is the season to actually like look forward to every Sunday 
expect them to win, um, be positive about the potential that they're going to win. And if they lose, that sucks. But guess what? You're going to be feel so much better through the whole process than if you're constantly looking for the potential pitfalls and how this is all going to fall apart. And then if they finally actually win a Super Bowl, you're like, oh, they did it. Like, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. Like, uh, embrace it. Enjoy it. Now, now's, the, now's the year to do it. They don't come around very often. Yeah, uh, this is actually interesting. I, I read the question differently when you said inferior, uh, inferiority complex. Uh, to me, I think that we still also, as you know, collective Seahawks fans, uh, there's still a strong uh, like little brother uh, attitude at yeah. times too, like complaining that Russ isn't giving enough credit and like some of that stuff is fair, but you know, uh, uh, there's that aspect of it too. And I, I don't know when that goes away. Um, uh, all right, uh, Jeff. When do we start considering the skill players the Seahawks have as the best in the NFL? What other teams? What other teams compare across the talent at running back, wide receiver, and tight end? Let me see. Um, Tampa Bay, maybe they got Mike Evans, Godwin, Ronald Jones is playing pretty well, and Gronk showed signs of life last week. Um, But really, the Seahawks with Carson. DK Metcalf, who we all said is probably one of the best receivers in the NFL, and Tyler Lockett, who still is criminally underrated, does not get enough attention. The tight end group's been fine, but they're right there. When the Saints have Kamara and Mike Thomas going, that's pretty good, but Mike Thomas hasn't really played this year. Uh, the Chiefs, the Chiefs are dominant with Kelsey, Tyreek, and Edwards Elaire, and potentially Le'Veon Bell and Hardman. So, but the Seahawks are up there with everyone, which is pretty crazy to say. And, and even guys like David Moore have played pretty well this year. So yeah, they're right there. DK Metcalf is as good as any player at the receiver position right now. So Chiefs, them, that probably top two. Just goes yeah. to show you how important a quarterback is because you could say the Vikings have fantastic skill position players. Yeah. You could say yeah, the Browns, Browns have fantastic skill position players but those don't come to mind right because of who's pulling the trigger to involve those guys the vikings are american yeah uh cowboys are maybe the big snub on that list yeah zeke is jack would you put the cardinals up there nope larry fitzgerald deandre hopkins larry fitzgerald are you kidding yeah i don't think there's enough behind hopkins like i i would I don't know, like they're kind of in the same class as like the Packers for me, where, you know, you've got one really good wide receiver, you've got a good running back, but like, uh, what does that even mean really, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I think the one that I would throw in there, I think you, you nailed it with the Bucks, the Chiefs, and then I'd add in the, the Cowboys. All right. Uh, rapid fire here. Um, uh all right, uh, Evan, which of the next four games will be the biggest test for the team as a whole? Rams, easily. I think, uh, was that game in LA or was it in Seattle? Does anybody remember? I guess it in really, LA. I guess it really doesn't matter too much. So it's, well, does LA have fans? Do you guys know? Like, you're saying, are there any Rams fans in general? <laughs> <laughs> or at the games? At the games, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I I think it's the Rams. Uh, 
they've really been a pain in our ass for the past couple of years and everybody's counting them out in the NFC West just because they, you know, shat the bed against the Niners a, a couple of nights ago. I'm not convinced. Let me just say this, this Seahawks defense, if they continue to play like they are, they're going to make Jared, Jared Goff look like Patrick Mahomes back there. So um, it could get rough. Uh, Josh Allen will be a really interesting test too. Uh, he's, he's simmered down a little bit though. He wow. has uh, just his ability to like break out and make plays with his legs um, could give them problems i don't know it'll be interesting to see how they play against them they're two really interesting tests in that like the the rams have uh they don't have like super exciting talent especially at quarterback right but the system is a problem for seattle and then the the bills uh josh allen's all over the place but just what he is physically you know what i just realized is an interesting storyline for the first time in maybe a decade in seahawks and rams matchups do the Seahawks have the better, the hand up in offensive line versus Rams? Is that not crazy to think about? Well, that's what I mean. We talk about it a lot and, and I'm not really meaning to, to, to troll you guys or to trigger something, but we talk a lot about like McFay's success with, you know, a bad quarterback in Jared Goff, but he had the best offensive line in football. Like he did, like, like he had, a stacked receiver crew he had good tight ends he had a great the best defender in all the nfl like he had a lot of things that that we haven't had in seattle for a little while so yeah their their offensive line's been not definitely not as good as seattle's this year well oh no 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 so what the comparison i was trying to make is seattle's offensive line versus rams defensive line oh do you see what i'm saying like aaron donald and all those guys have been terrorizing us for years that's just a that's a statement. I mean, is it? I don't Aaron know. Donald is the boogeyman. I'm you're not I gonna get to say anything yeah, bad or critical. I'm talking about the unit as a whole. <laughs> the unit as a whole. Just he's so terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Seattle has like a top ten pass protecting offensive well, line. Right the Niners had the best success against Donald that any team has had this year. Donald like and they just – they ran. Their whole strategy was to run and take them out of the game. They didn't really drop back for deep drops at all. That was kind of the Donald remover. We all are very against Seattle playing like that, but I found that kind of interesting. Well, I mean, I think uh, I think it's a really good question. And, I mean, the interesting thing is I don't think the Rams are a particularly good pass rushing team this year. So it, it is fair. Like they, I'm looking on. Uh, I the, thought they had struggled. Oh I was no, following. They're, they're eighth. Sorry. They're eighth in the NFL. So they're not bad. Um, okay. I was wrong. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I would never bet against Aaron Donald. What measure were you looking at just now? Adjusted sack rate from football outsiders for, for their defensive line in particular. Um. All right, Nathan. Uh, you got one more? Nope. I have one for you from a new patron. Uh, messaged me. His name's Sam Brown. Uh, welcome to the show. And if you haven't already, come on, folks. Patreon.com/slash/hawkblogger. Five bucks gets you in. Immediate access to the Slack channel, and we might even ask your question and answer it. Um. All right. This one is for Evan. Oh boy. 
Uh, what trick play would you rather see this season? David Moore or some other wide receiver throwing a touchdown pass to Russell Wilson or Michael Dixon throwing a touchdown pass on a fake field goal like John Ryan in the 2014 NFC Championship? Michael Dixon, no question. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want some big dick energy from our punter. Like, come on, man. Come on. What? Let, let's see it. Let's see it. This this special teams unit is number one in the NFL, man. Why not start throwing touchdowns? Why uh, not? That Did you officially bring us into the Zoom dick? Uh, I, I was just referencing his last name. I just shortened it. <laughs> you guys are the ones with dirty minds. This is true. It, 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 you're not wrong. Um, so, I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about, um, the next five games and not as much talking about this next game. We, 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 we've gone over it a few different ways, but not in, in, in real detail. So, I mean, when you guys look at this game, um, what do you think is most important for the Seahawks to be able to win it? What, what, do, you, what do you think needs to happen for the Seahawks to come out with a win? And, and Jeff, I want to start with you on this one. Well, the obvious answer is just Russell has to be the best player in the field, but I'll make this more matchup specific. Um, to me, it has to be containing Kyler Murray. And you mentioned it earlier, Kyler's so fast at like getting off the edges. And we last year, there was a lot of fan angst that we were missing tackles and just realize how hard it is to tackle a guy moving at that speed. It's very, he's just, he's such a challenging player to get in space. And if Jamal isn't healthy or isn't playing and Bobby's going to have to run around with them, that's a really hard matchup. So if you force them to pass and can't just have Kyler run around and like get those chunk plays, I think Arizona's going to struggle offensively. So I think having a good plan to keep Kyler contained and not let him kind of take over the game. And you saw what they did last year with their running game against us in that Seattle game. So I think you just have to have a good game plan and keep him not from breaking out on the edges. Nathan, where are you on this? Yeah, I'm. I think that's pretty pretty much it. Um, if you can control him, uh, I think you're in a great spot. Um, it's kind of a boring answer, I guess. Is like you know, slow down the quarterback. You got a good chance to win, but I think that's pretty accurate in this case. Um, he'll be an interesting test. He's he's so fast, so quick. Um, but I don't think that Seattle's had as big issues, you know, tackling like they did last year. So I don't think. It's, I think they'll be able to do it, but um, I, I think that's really what it's going to come down to. So Evan, I've got, I've got something I'm hoping for in this game. And I want to hear from you about what you think is most important, but since, since Nathan just brought this up and, and, and Jeff as well about Kyler Murray, I think the Seahawks have a player that's actually really well suited to playing against Kyler Murray. And they actually used him in this role this year. And that's Sha- Shaquem Griffin. Um, He's been used in a specific role as a QB spy and his own dropper who then comes up on, you know, short passes over the middle. Would you rather see Shaquem Griffin trying to track down Kyler Murray in the open field or Cody Barton trying to track down Kyler Murray in the open field? This is a really painful exercise. This is the life we're living (sighs) I'm not sure you have anybody that can reliably cover 
Kyler Murray in, 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 in the run game and his scrambles. I'm just, have you seen that guy run? Yeah. He's so quick. He's so quick. It, it, every time I watch him play, it reminds me of how, how slow Russell has gotten <laughs> like, <laughs> with like his cement brick feet. Like Russell runs in like slow motion with this dad bod. It's like me trying to run, you know, in flag football down the soccer field. Like it's just not, it's just not working. Like he's, he's clearly carrying a little dad bod weight, but um, oh God push on the question. I, I'm not sure. Like, I, I don't think you have anybody that can reliably <sighs> cover him in his quickness. I, I, it's just scary to even think about. I think you're underselling Shaquem, man. I, I think, he's I, I really don't think so. <laughs> no. All right. So what do you, th- what do you think is most important? Like, what are you going to be watching on Sunday to help you feel like, okay, this game's we got, we got a good chance to win this one. What, what's the, what's the top thing you're going to be looking at? Limit the explosive plays from DeAndre Hopkins. He's like the most dangerous uh, player on the Cardinals, in my opinion. Like Kyler Murray only completed nine passes against the Cowboys. As much as I hype him up, like he's very hot and cold. And I know they've been, I know the Seahawks defense has been trending downwards in explosive plays. I think we only gave up like two or something in our recent week, or maybe that was the week before I know they start off at some outrageous number and it's slowly been declining, but um, you've got to limit the big plays. I know that's a very simple answer, but Deandre Hopkins, if he gets over the top, this game could, um, this game could get away from you. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, (laughs) I mean, look, there's two things to me. One, the Seahawks offense is playing well. I'm not, I'm not concerned. I, I think if the Seahawks offense is playing well, I, I do think the Cardinals defense is, is of note. They have some players that they've had some performances that have been pretty impressive, um, but they also haven't faced that many tough offenses. Um, you know, so if, if the Seahawks are moving the ball, then I think the, the score will be fine. It, the other thing is if the Seahawks can limit the, the run game of, of the Cardinals uh, and that includes Kenyon Drake, but mostly Kyler Murray. I mean, Kyler Murray's had, I'm looking right now. <laughs> I mean, one, he had more rushes last game than he had completed passes. Um, and he had 74 yards. He's had over 70 yards in three of the six games and over 60 yards in four of the six games. So, I mean, he's, he's gaining a lot uh, with his feet. So I, th- I think that is the hardest thing for the Seahawks. That I think they're least equipped to, to, to deal with. But if they're able to contain that, I think it's going to be really hard for the, the Cardinals to move the ball. Um, all right. Do we want to cover anything else before we get into predictions? Cause I mean, there's a lot that happened today. We could talk about, uh, the Philip Dorsett coming back. Potentially we can talk about Colby Parkinson starting to practice. We could talk about Steven you know, Sullivan, you know, who you tight end to defensive end. You know who you didn't talk about? Who's, uh, who's getting a tryout with, uh, the dolphins this week. Oh, I don't want to unleash the oh, takes okay. and unleash the discourse. Oh, okay. yeah, we Buddha Baker this week. <sighs> That's a good point. It's a good point, Jeff. So for folks that don't know, our old buddy Malik McDowell, uh, second round pick that never was for the Seahawks. Um, he of ATV ridiculousness um, fame. Uh is trying out for the Dolphins, apparently. And it is 
It is a uh, interesting timing given that the player selected directly after him, one spot after him, Buda Baker, uh, will be facing off against the Seahawks with maybe, hopefully, a similarly talented safety that taught, cost them two first round picks and a third round pick instead of just that second round pick a few years ago. And just to give, I think, what is a little bit of perspective on the timing on why this came out now, uh, back in November or October of 2019, he was sentenced to 11 months in jail, in Michigan State Jail. And uh, the timeline works. I I don't know if you guys saw that video of him, like, assaulting a police officer. It was pretty bad. But um, he was, like, driving drunk and, and doing a bunch of bad stuff. So I think he's out of jail and, you know, I mean, honestly, if we're being like really positive, optimistic, good people, like hopefully he's turned his life around and hopefully, you know, he can catch on somewhere who knows about his health status, but, but I'm sure of course it would be a very painful uh, thing for Seahawks fans to watch him (laughs) catch on somewhere and have a ton of success. So (laughs) I have a totally different take on this. I I wouldn't care at all. You wouldn't care. No, I like what what is the thing that I'm supposed to like if he goes on to be, you know, a pro bowler for the Dolphins, what am I gonna be mad about? Oh, they should have kept him on the roster while he was in jail. Like No I mean like It's no no Nathan, it's no regret over how the Seahawks handled the situation. It's not that. It's it's just unhappiness with that like that draft selection set off like a domino of a f- effect of poor roster decision moves. And but whether they, he goes on to play well for Miami at this point, doesn't change any of that. Like, I guess maybe I'm just already at rock bottom on the McDowell thing. Like <laughs> that was a disaster. And that was like tragic sure. in so many senses of the word. Right. And so like, and they've already made all these like bad decisions. So yeah. at this point, like, I just don't even really have any kind of, I just can't care about Malik McDowell. Like, yeah, I totally agree. Like, I hope he's got it straightened out and whatever is going on is better for him. And I just can't bring myself to care about him potentially being good somewhere else. Yeah, I'm kind of with Nathan. Uh, my beef is more towards Schneider. I think that 2017 draft has had a lingering effect that is still hurting this team. Like Brian said, if they just draft, say, Buda Baker there, they don't need to spend two first rounders on a safety. And there's just so many wheels and so many things. They don't have a pass rush. TJ Watt was there at that pick. George Kittle, they passed on. It's now one of the better players in their division. So is Buda Baker. It's just my issue is more with the Seahawks. I don't have any ill will if McDowell goes out and is good. I don't care about that. Fair. Did okay. they really pass on TJ Watt there too? Oh, <laughs> they, the did. they did. <laughs> Uh, who's like the I mean, number one pass rusher in the NFL, I believe, right now? Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, he's real good. Uh, no, that, that was a disaster. Ryan Ramchick, they, they passed on. Um, like, th- it was like there was, was a long was there. Yeah, it, it was. I, I think I think it's one of their worst drafts, really? not because of even the players they picked, but because of the decisions they made. Um, who the hell who who the hell else was in that draft? They took Posick. A few picks before Juju Smith Schuster. Oh yeah, uh, this is gonna be a better year than Juju. <laughs> they yeah. they had chances at both. Uh, I mean, running backs, so whatever. But Dalvin Cook and uh, Alvin Kamara. 
Um, not Carson in that draft in the seventh round. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Was that the sh- that wasn't Shaquille Griffin? That was draft. Shaquille Griffin. That's the highlight of that draft. But that was the year they didn't take the corners that Brian wanted. Um, can I can I admit something on where I was wrong? I love oh, Tedrick, one pick ahead of Eddie Jackson. Can I talk about through six yeah. weeks in early regret? <laughs> this offseason, I was banging the drum for extend Shaquille early through six weeks. I know he's had a pick or maybe two picks. Um, he's had some flashes this season, but overall Shaquille has not played like the number that is the numbers that are leaking out of, out of his camp and in, in terms of what he wants to be paid, like in, in terms of the corner market, um, you know, in the off season, we were talking like 15, 16, 17 million for the dude. He's not playing like it. Or anything close to it, frankly. I don't think he's been bad, but I just don't think he's played up to the level we've expected. Generally agree, but he's been pretty good the last few games. He's yeah, he's picked quite- up. He's picked up, but he had a really poor start to the season, I think, in those first three games. <clears throat> he did. I, I'm really curious what the secondary is going to look like when Dunbar and I mean, it's, it's an if it's not a, I, I'm assuming it's going to happen where they're, they're going to have Dunbar and Griffin and Adams and Amadi and Diggs in the lineup at the same time, which I'm not sure they've had a game like that yet. Um, so yeah, I, I think we might speak differently, especially given the offenses they're going to face. We're going to get so fat and happy the last six, seven games of the season. Um, we might think differently about it. I'm not even comfortable saying that. You've seen I'm, it. I'm, I'm really not comfortable saying that. Like Pete and Norton today kind of took some shade at Trey Flowers when they kept talking about Dunbar and how badly they need him in the lineup and how they have to manage him. They, they're seeing where we're seeing. Yeah, Trey Flowers is a flaming pile of shit. Like – well, that's one way to put it. I mean, am I, am I wrong? No, I just would have used different words, but <laughs> your, point, your point is, you know how we all feel about Trey Flowers. He's yeah. been their worst player by far. Jeff Something tells good. me we're going to get fewer complaints about ads this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there are folks that are talking about J.J. Watt as a trade target people are talking about grady jarrett as a trade target and i'm oh. like I, one i don't want i don't think watt is worth worth whatever he would cost you know he's the wrong watt to even go after at this point not that any others are available and grady jarrett would be amazing there's no way atlanta gives up grady jarrett like no way what about that report from the Bengals today gino atkins and uh Carlos Dunlap, who are both unhappy with their roles on the Bengals. Any interest there or no? I mean, this these are probably the types of trades they should be trying to make and not like the Jamal Adams type trades. Um, you know, if you can if you can do the Clayus Campbell type deal, right, and get one of these guys for a fifth rounder, um, then I, I think you'd be all over it, right? Uh Here's yeah, a, it, yeah. Do you regret the Jamal Adams deal? Like, look at what Buckner went for. He went for one first, and maybe you could have got that for Chris Jones. No, Brian, you don't have any regret on that? 
No, I kind of do at this point. I know you do. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I've, I've, uh, we'll, we'll see what they can do with him when he gets back. I mean, maybe he'll come back and the defense will take a big step forward and, and, and then I'll, I'll come back around on it again. But like, and, and it's not all his fault when I say this, but the defense has been better with him out. Um, and I know that we can argue about whether, you know, if they use him the exact same way that they're using Ryan Neal, would, you know, would that have been the case? Maybe not. But like, the defense isn't bad uh, right now. It's not. not. It's, it's, it's not. It's middle of the road. It's, it's a pretty average defense right now. And maybe, maybe Jamal pushes them up towards like a top 10 or maybe puts them even in the top 10 and, and maybe that'll be worth it. But, you know, uh, I don't know that this team needs him necessarily. If the offense can play like this and the defense is okay even without him, a couple first-round picks is a lot, right? I mean – I, I actually, I, I kind of, I get where you're going. Like I, I thought your, your point of view generally has been like the whole thing that the defense is better without him. That to me is sure. like, I think that's a little crazy. It's not, I, I mean, it's just like factual. Like it, it, And there are a million caveats to that. There are the defense played really well in the first part of the the game against Atlanta. I really would. I, yeah, I there, there was like a quarter where they played okay with Jamal Adams. They held they held Atlanta down until the the until garbage time. I mean they had they had like eighteen points or something like that. And and I thought, yeah. So I don't know that I totally agree. I know what you're getting at, but this notion that the defense has been passable and maybe good enough without him, that's a fair point. I get it. And two two first round picks is he going to be worth that? I don't know. I just my response to it mainly, guys, is just getting a player of that quality, a true blue chip talent. That's one of the best players in the league. I, you know, I don't think the Seahawks are going to be picking six anytime soon. So like, I, I think that, that, that I don't really regret getting that if that was the cost to, to especially a 24 year old version uh, of a great player like that. My, my point would be, I, I agree with you there, Brian, but if they were going to give up that price, I wonder if they should have got like a Buckner or a Chris Jones. Because that's a clear deficiency in what they do. But I think the one regret they should have this year is that they didn't make, find a way to get Clayus Campbell on. Oh. He had like four sacks the other day. Well, I mean, we talk about guys like that, but I mean, what did Jordan Phillips sign with, with the Cardinals for? I mean, we're going to see him this week. And everyone was like, oh, he's just like Jaron Reed, like a one-hit wonder. He's not that great. And I'm pretty sure he's got – He's got two sacks this year. It's not like the greatest, but uh, I mean, there's so anyway. We're gonna go back and have the same well, conversation. Clamby has zero sacks in five games. We need to start every. Starting to fizzle a bit. I'm a petty bitch when it comes to Clowney. <laughs> I'm a petty bitch. Like he chose like the Titans over us. Like screw him. Like he was trying to reset. The whole point was to unleash his sack potential in Mike Rabel's defense. He's been a non-factor in Tennessee. Almost a non-factor. He's flashed he's a couple of times. Yeah. He makes his big plays. Yeah. But, but he has not taken over a game, yeah, though. He still yet. has good pressure numbers. but Yeah, but I, I would say, like, in 2019, you know, I specifically remember that Niners game in, in Santa Clara where he, like, completely took over the game. I mean, it's only six weeks, but he hasn't had that with the Titans yet. 
No, it's a lot of nothing and then a couple of big plays and then a lot of nothing. That's clowning. And somebody's calling me out in the chat. Yes, I wanted to hand clowny the world and more. 100% correct. Like through six weeks, that looks like a major like dud. Like they, Tennessee gave him like 15 million, right? Like 14 mil base one year or an extra 1 million in incentives or something like that. Like that looks ludicrous right now. Like he's not, he's not playing like that type of money. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays the rest of the year and how his value (laughs) is affected going into free agency next year. If it continues. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I was particularly, personally, I was pretty bummed about David Irving signing or looking like he's going to sign with the, the Raiders, right? Like um, that's the type of uh, addition that would be for almost no cost. And he literally could be one of the top five interior pass rushers in the NFL the rest of the year, depending on what shape he's in. Like that would have been huge. Has LJ Collier had a better year than Judavian Clowney? Uh, no, I don't think no. so. No sacks than him. No. Are we sure that's not like, are we sure that's like a definitive no? Yes. Yeah, you know, Collier's hasn't really done much. Well, you know, let's hold off on that. I mean. <laughs> Doesn't LJ Collier have a sack? He does have a sack, yes. Mm. It's not a particularly good way to measure. A long time, uh, you know. He has eight pressures, Evan. So How many? Oh, I don't want to know how many pressures Clowney has. That would disrupt my narrative. Um, I will tell you in a second. <laughs> no, please. No. Lawyer has four tackles and one sack. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, guys. I, don't feels, know. I feel like he's been yeah. way more productive than that. But maybe well, he's been on the field, which pressures. is just light years. Has nine, 19 pressures. On how many snaps compared to Collier? He's on 163 pass rush snaps, 19 pressures versus uh Mayoa or sorry Collier's eight pressures and 108 pass rush snaps okay yeah there's there's yeah no- uh breaking news Jadevian Clowney better than LJ Collier <laughs> <laughs> but not that much better necessarily not that significantly it's not 15 much. million better oh. yeah yeah so <laughs> um Okay, so let's let's get into talking about what's going to happen this week, um, and, and some predictions. And we might we may end up going farther, but but let's at least get those out on the table. Uh, Evan, what's the score of this game? I think. Well, the weather projection for for Sunday is is perfect as it always is in in the beautiful state of Arizona it's sunny perfect perfect weather for football Seahawks should consider playing more games down here frankly um so because it's not raining which is horrible bad weather as everybody agrees on this podcast Russell Wilson's gonna have a game five touchdowns I think the Seahawks score 41 points and I think it's 41 to 21 Seahawks 41 to 21. Wow. Yes. Wow. I mean, that's not really that crazy. Like the Seahawks have been putting up like high thirties, right? The entire season. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Nathan, where are you? 
Um, I, I think they'll be up there around like 36, 35, something like that. So I'll go like, uh, I'll go 35, 30. Seattle. Jeff, I'm going to interrupt this prediction with a breaking bit of information for this group. Oh boy. I need to ask each of you, who is the number one graded pass rusher on the defensive line, edge or interior in the entire NFL? It's like a low you get two, you get like two choices. Line. I'm we're not gonna talk about snap counts, we're just talking about the highest graded. Two you get two guesses. I cheated. So God dang it, <laughs> Nathan. Come on, man. Yeah. Is it Shakim? Uh, good. The top your five. Guess, you're playing, Evan. I appreciate that. Is the it Shakim? Top five, uh, is it Jonathan Bullard? Yes, oh, it's Jonathan Bullard. You actually is? No, so, it's yes, not. Jonathan Bullard is the number one ranked pass rusher in okay. the NFL. By pass rush grade, he has a 94.1 pass rush grade on 10 pass rush snaps. So <laughs> what none of us have talked about tonight is how Jonathan Bullard is going to take over this game on Sunday. All right, I got one for you, Brian. Who exactly, is, Jeff. Good call out. Who is tied with TJ Watt as the seventh best pass rusher this year per PFF? <laughs> Pass rush grades. Well, I'm I'm looking right now, so I can see. It's a it's an old favorite of mine. <laughs> what did you bring him up last week? This, I, I didn't even know he was still in the league. Who, who is it? Ty McGill. No way. <laughs> it's a weird name to see pop up twice in a week. I didn't know he was still playing. I know. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of folks that are taking uh, an L, a big L on number 14, which is Yatura Gross Matos. Uh, a lot of people are like, do not draft him. And and uh, it wasn't just you, Jeff. I mean, I think I saw it all the way through Seahawks Twitter, like do not draft him. And he's playing pretty darn well for Carolina so far. Well, I did want to draft Patrick Queen instead of you, Brian. Oh, man. Yeah, brutal, brutal. I mean, Jordan Brooks is supposed to be back. I think we were all kind of like down on Jordan Brooks all of a sudden. Um, let's hope he he comes back and shows us that there's reason to be hopeful. Yeah, a linebacker that can run would be pretty good to have in this Kyler Murray game. It would, it would. All right, Jeff, give us your prediction in this game. All right, uh, weird shit always happens when the Seahawks play in Arizona, but the Seahawks always win in Arizona against the Cardinals. So I'm going to come out and make a prediction that Evan will like. This will be the first game that Jason Myers will have to make a high leverage field goal. It will be the game-winning kick, and they'll win 36-33. Oh, I love you. Jason Myers has a stud. The easiest season. Any Excuse me? He kicked a 56-yard field goal, bitch. Okay, fair. Well, I, I pretty, he's coming out of his shell this week. He's 100% of 100%. You know, Evan, there is some – I've been meaning to tell you there is some sort of conspiracy theory in the NFL – a conspiracy in the NFL around Jason Myers. If you go to almost any stat site 
that has kicker stats and you sort by who has the best kicking percentage, like uh, of field goals, he disappears. He doesn't show up. There's only like one out of like six or seven stat sites that I've gone to, like including like ESPN. If you go to ESPN's page and you look up kicking stats and you sort by he'll show up, but if you sort by percentage, he just disappears. So I think you might be on to something that there is a, a larger force at play here. Nathan, will you apologize to Jason Myers publicly if he kicks all of his kicks within oh. the field goal this year? Uh, all kickers kick all their kicks. That's not impressive. Nathan, if he goes 100% on the year, will you? Are we down 100% of 100%? 100%? If he, if he goes 100%, you asshole, will you publicly apologize to our stud special teams kicker? No. What? That's an easy yes. Why not? Because they shouldn't have yeah. paid him. Oh, if he goes it was $4 million. Is, if he goes, a, if he kicks, if he hits 100% of his kicks, it's just luck. It's not actual. They, Oh, like, oh, so you're saying like kicking the football, like has no skill whatsoever. So like I could go over there, like to that football field right there. And if I kick it and make it like it's pure luck. If you kick it and make it, yeah, it's pure luck. (laughs) Buddy, I got, I got tree trunk thighs. It's not pure luck. Uh, Well, then they should have signed you if anyone can do it. They wouldn't have to pay you 4 million bucks either, I bet. Folks, if you, if you aren't picking up on that, this is what it's like to argue with Nathan. It is like trying to climb a greased pole. Like <laughs> but enough about Jeffrey Tubin. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is not a pleasant experience. The goalposts, as we were talking about, they move. They no, move. No, no. I bet. Look, if he if he kicks if he makes a hundred percent of his kicks, like great job. I will say good job to him. I still think it's a bad idea to sign a kicker who had like an established track record of being a certain guy and then like expecting one year. You hear that? Exact same thing. The nerds are mad that the kicker is doing well because he's good at kicking footballs. Eric seems very upset about Brian's Jason Myers. All I gotta say is Jason Myers is the ninth highest paid Seahawk on the roster, and he is well worth it. Oh God! Well worth. I'm not with the ninth. He's the ninth highest paid Seahawk on this roster. That's (laughs) that's absurd. That's absurd. (laughs) He is by Caffet this year. (laughs) Oh God. Well, uh, guys, I told you that this team's a Super Bowl team. I I, I believe it, and you know, and there's been one thing that's been true every time the Seahawks have gone to the Super Bowl, 2005. 2013, 2014, they whooped the Cardinals down in Arizona. So I can't say that they're a Super Bowl team and not expect them to do the same this year. So I think the Seahawks go down there. Um, I think they beat the Cardinals uh, 38-18. And uh, I think we're we're feeling pretty good about them coming out of, out of next week. So uh, one of the most important parts of that score is the defense. Uh, I think we're going to see a better, a better performance from the defense this week. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful that that actually comes true. So uh, anything else we want to hit before we wrap up this marathon edition of real honk talk. Let's hope for no injuries on Sunday, because that field for some uh, reason is built on cursed native American land. So. Yeah. And, and for folks, I, I see folks in the chat talking about being overconfident 
first of all, there's no harm in a fan being overconfident <laughs> whatsoever. There's no effect whatsoever. Uh, we have no impact on the game. Second of all, um, honestly, I think there's way more harm from being like, from underestimating your own team. And, and uh, so uh, feel free to cower in the corner. Um, I'm not going to do that. I, I think this is a great team. It's going to, it's going to be fun this year. So with that, everybody, please, if you haven't already subscribe, click the little bell to get notified for when we go live. Um, we will do post game show with Stacy Rost um, is how you pronounce her name, Evan uh, on Sunday. It's gonna be great. Um, she will hopefully be able to report for her job the next day after appearing with uh, us in that environment. Um, also join over at patreon.com slash hawk blogger. I saw a couple folks already joined during the show. Uh, it's great. Get immediate access to the Slack channel. Lots of good conversations going on there um, throughout the week about the Seahawks. And I think we got a fun thing coming up pretty soon with Burger Master. I don't think we have all the details yet, but we are going to be doing a little bit of a review um, about Burger Master. We'll do it live on air and uh, more to come on that. Hopefully we'll we'll get some folks over there. We're even thinking about maybe trying to do a post-game show at some point there. We don't know if it'll work out, but everyone could drive in separately. So it's socially distant. We'll see. We'll figure those things out. But until then... Um, please join us at patreon.com slash hawkblogger subscribe on youtube follow the guys at evan and sea at nathan e11 at real jeff simmons and uh, our guest tonight aj mccord at aj underscore mccord on twitter and with that uh go hawks have a great night